On today's episode of Relative Currency, when we as a country have set about to try to correct um, injustice, it's generally not been corrected. There's been an approach of, okay, we're going to just start over right here and say the door is open for everybody. Brother, sister, and cousin, we've been relatives for a while. We're chatting about financial things. We're doing it family style. Cryptocurrency, stocks, and loans. Financial literacy. It'll be that and so much more on Relative Currency. Currency, fine-tuning financial literacy for the middle class. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Relative Currency. I'm Frank here with Alicia, and we're so glad you could join us today for this podcast. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, Google Play, and all other major podcast platforms. Visit relativecurrency.com, join our newsletter, and receive a free wealth building guide, which I think you will enjoy. Um, again, just excited um, for you to be here. Uh, a really, a really interesting topic. I always say that, but I think this one is, is kind of um, something that definitely needs to be addressed and something that I think uh, even after you listen to it will give you some food for thought on just the content. And so what we're looking at, what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at an article written by the organization Demos, um, which um, they, they kind of specialize in litigation for um civil rights, I would say, or voter rights and, um, you know, kind of progressive legislation to help those who have been marginalized. And so what's interesting in the paper that we're going to kind of look at, and, and we'll link it um, in, in the show um, notes when, when you listen to this on your platform, but what we've, uh, what's interesting, I guess, about the uh, paper or, or the, or the um, work that they put together is it illustrates uh, something that kind of goes against what the mainstream media or mainstream think, uh, thought, excuse me, kind of says, which is, you know, if you get an education and you, you know, work in, you know, kind of a stable home and you spend less, you'll, you'll kind of get ahead. And while that might be true in a micro sense, what this article shows is that the wealth gap that both, uh, you know, Blacks and Hispanics, people of color experience, regardless of their circumstance, um, it, it, it doesn't, those, those things, while they certainly are good on paper, don't mitigate the wealth gap. And so, uh, Lisa, I'm just going to bring you in and just talk about, you know, some of the reasons why, even uh, for a minority household that has two working parents, full time, college educated, uh, with a, with a solid budget, spending much less than they um, earn, why there is still such a large wealth gap. The, this paper really gets to the heart of an issue that really I think is very challenging for a lot of us uh, to comprehend with an American mindset where um, we are have a tendency to be very individualistic, um, very much about personal responsibility. And what this article exposes, uh, and they and they basically set it out just in the introduction. It's it's actually a very brief article. It is available um, for free, download for free. And as um, 
Frank said, we're going to have it linked uh, in the show notes. But they basically, and I'm I'm more or less directly quoting, um, the origins of the racial wealth gap are related to historic injustices from slavery to segregation to redlining. And so the prosperity that occurred uh, in the 40s and 50s after World War II, where we had the GI Bill, um, we had the rise of the suburbs and the movement away from the cities um, and all of these public policies that were created that excluded black veterans, um, but they did definitely help white veterans to attend college, purchase homes, obtain mortgages, and set themselves and their descendants up for future prosperity. And there have been um, exhibits that I've seen uh, locally in the Chicago area where they tracked two veterans and, sh and showed that a white veteran was able to buy a house of greater value uh, in a white neighborhood. The value increased over time and that became uh, an asset that then was passed down. In contrast, the black veteran and his family purchased a home. The neighborhood was not in a white neighborhood where the home was purchased. The home purchase was of lesser value and it also didn't retain its value very well. Um, homes in that neighborhood uh, relatively did not gain value at, at, if at all, at anywhere near the rate of the homes that were obtained in the white neighborhoods. And that was just a single factor, um, let alone discrimination in employment, discrimination in education, etc. And so when we as a country have set about to try to correct um, injustice, it's generally not been corrected. There's been an approach of, okay, we're gonna just start over right here and say the door is open for everybody while ignoring whether anybody is equally equipped to walk through that open door as the people who have already been receiving advantages over generations. So just to state it baldly, I mean, it, it almost sounds like a challenge. They've divided this article up into sections. And there are four sections that basically say attending college does not close the racial wealth gap. Raising children in a two-parent household does not close the racial wealth gap. Working full-time does not close the racial wealth gap. Spending less does not close the racial wealth gap. And so going quickly through each section, this is not to say that it is not a benefit to have any of these factors working for you, regardless of your race. Within uh, the demographic of Black people, those who have attended college are doing better than those who have not. But many Black people who have attended college, 
because of generational wealth that has been passed down, mainly within the white community, they may not be doing as well as white people who have not completed high school. So let's look at the second point. Raising children in a two-parent household does not close the racial wealth gap. I mean, nowhere near. So of course, I believe, and many people will believe there's scientific evidence to back this up. Raising children in a two-parent household is a definite advantage. And if you are raised in a two-parent household, within your demographic, you will be doing better than somebody who was not within that demographic. But there are many children being raised in a two-parent Black household that just does not have the wealth of a single-parent white household, despite gender discrepancies in pay. Then they go on, working full-time does not close the racial wealth gap. And again, there are Black people and Black families with full-time workers that are not making as much as white people who are making part, uh, who are working part-time and or do not have as much wealth in their household, as many resources as white people who do not have full-time employment or have only one parent working full-time versus two. And then I think uh, the final point was most illuminating to me. Spending less does not close the racial wealth gap. So I believe there is a, a myth that uh, especially Black people, that we're spending a lot of money on clothes, we're spending a lot of money on sneakers. Um, if we're women, we're spending a lot of money on our hair and our nails and our makeup. And I'm not even going to detour into why as Black women, we often have to spend relatively more on those type of personal items. But in aggregate, Black people actually do not spend more than white people on these type of items, nor on eating out, um, nor on other types of entertainments. Black people spend more money than white people on items like utilities because they tend to be in economic situations where they are paying a premium for utilities due to the neighborhood that they live in. Or as somebody has said, it's very expensive to be poor they're in a situation where they have to pay more for basic services due to poor credit scores or a difficulty in uh, utilizing the traditional banking system. And so it costs them money, for example, to get their check cashed and then to convert that check into a prepaid uh, debit card to pay their uh, bills because it's very difficult to try to pay your bills uh, with cash these days. Um, and so white people are actually spending more on eating out and taking vacations and personal items. So that was, that was a revelation. So regardless, that wouldn't close the wealth gap. Um, they actually put this article out in February of 2017. And the dollars that they use are $2013. And at the time that they did this, the calculation was that the average white household 
was holding $13 of wealth for every dollar um, that a Black household had and $10 for every dollar in a Latino household. Um, and they also broke down each of the factors that I mentioned, attending college, the median white adult who attended college has more than seven times more wealth than the median black adult who attended college and nearly four times more wealth than the median Latino adult who attended college. Um, in terms of uh, married couples, black couples who were married with children had $16,000 in wealth at the median. Latino couples uh, married with children had $18,800 in wealth at the median, but white couples, white married couples with children had $161,300 in median wealth. And so there's definitely um, an advantage to being married, um, to having attended college, to having a full-time job, um, and to being mindful of your spending. But these things will not close the societal gaps in the racial demographics in this country, not, not by a long shot. Um, and I've seen it estimated in other studies that it would take more than a century um, given that current conditions hold for there even to approach any type of parity uh, economically between black households and white households, um, at least a century. So I think that this is important to know because we often don't do what should be done or don't even recognize what needs to be done because we're lost in a mythology of personal responsibility. And without even addressing the structural factors that even make this whole personal responsibility and pulling oneself up by their bootstraps um, unworkable, we are also ignoring all of the help that white Americans received at the expense of and at the to the exclusion of other groups, specifically black people. And well, let, let me stop, let me stop you right, yeah. let me stop you right there. Um yes. I mean, all that all that's really, really good information. I think um one of the things that I think we want to give the listeners is um, that picture that you were you were painting earlier of, you know, this is something where if you go back to uh, Reconstruction and you think about the like Tulsa massacre and things like that, where black wealth was just evaporated, destroyed when, you know, all at different points in time. And then you get to where civil rights is and even going going into that, people thinking, you know, just speaking historically, like, yes, it was a good thing because we thought at the time, and I say we, because obviously I wasn't from civil rights, but black people, we thought that integrating would one, you know, remove the you know bias we were dealing with, and also allow us to get into and, and get better equity 
um, in our homes and things like that, whereas it never really materialized. Like we got on paper the equal treatment, but we never got the real benefit of, you know, what it what it was to be in the preferred class. And so we got equality without the equity that came along with it. And then, you know, that's why there's always the gap that will always, like you said, exist, because now you got to look at it like when even now the mindset is, oh, when people move out of a neighborhood, they say I got to they don't move to a black neighborhood. They move to a uh, at best a mixed neighborhood because the resale value home for homes are better there. You know, the average white person is not moving to a black neighborhood unless they're, you know, on a, on some kind of mission or call from Christ, you know. They're living, you know, in a white neighborhood. The, the better schools are going to be there. All those things that, you know, factor in. So it's like there's 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 things that black people can't take advantage of because it's like you're not even uh, able to get into a better home. And if you are, it's going to cost you more because you're coming from less equity than, you know, your parents. And your parents could have been the same as my parents, but because of different things, their resale value of their home could be higher Therefore, they have more money to put into your education and to put into your wedding, to put into all these first things that everybody does and spends on. But, you know, black people sometimes don't have the money for. And, you know, they take a few people um, caricatures in our culture and say, look, black people spend too much money. when really, that's not the case. Um, we, we spend, you know, the, the same or less than other races. And so I think it's just eye opening. And, and I guess to not put a a total damper or or down down spin on on if on if you're on if you're a college graduate if you're listening to this and you're in a person of color you're a college graduate you're working you know a full-time job and, you, and both you and your spouse are working you're doing what you're supposed to do but just understand that that personal responsibility that that will not crow, close this gap this this that the micro is good that you're that you're doing better and there there's a lot of black people doing better and that's really really positive but the macro that we're not there. There's nowhere that we can't push up into the the wealth gap because there's no way to displace all the white people who are living in the homes with equity. They call it gentrification when they do it to us. They push us out of major cities and then we're living in the suburbs and run down places where we don't ever reap the equity of where they're living. So it's really a machine at a level that's not even based on a person who's racist or anything like that. It's just a way that things work and people don't, it's hard to see, like you said, because it's it's almost built out of a, out, out of thin air that you can't really see, but you have to look at the numbers and data. So I, I just wanted to jump back in and, and say what's interesting to me whenever you tend to have a person from the majority address you and say, well, you're doing well. And I want to say, but, you know, you may have an idea because you're meeting me in a certain context that I'm doing well. But I can tell you my ex lived experience of walking around in this world for almost 48 years is not that people expect me to be doing well. And, and that says a lot. People have low expectations and it comes from, you know, these ingrained societal factors and this structural racism. Yeah, it was really, really good. I think um, again, uh, definitely check that out again if you if you're just listening again. I think this is definitely something you want to keep, um, kind of, kind of almost as a reference. So again, uh, relative currency. You can check us out iTunes, Podbean, 
uh, Google Play, Spotify, all major podcast platforms. Visit relativecurrency.com. Download a free wealth building guide, which we think you will enjoy. Um, and yeah, that's it. That's it for this episode. Again, I want to thank everyone for listening. Um, we love you guys. Uh, for Alicia, I'm Frank. We'll see you guys very soon on an episode of Relative Currency. Thank you for listening to Relative Currency. Please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and other major podcast platforms.